Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about a mysterious ancient Roman sauce that experts can't recreate, the brain receptor that explains why puberty is happening earlier around the world, and why some elephants evolved without tusks, but are finally getting their tusks back. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Have you ever tried replicating your grandma's recipe only for it to not taste the same? That's exactly what a team of scientists is going through right now. And the group is trying to recreate garum, a fermented fish sauce once beloved by generations of ancient Greeks and Romans. A sauce that suddenly vanished. But I'm serious. Garum was made by leaving heavily salted small fish like mackerel or sardines to decompose in giant vats beneath the Mediterranean sun. This was a process that took months and it smelled so bad that garum producers were banished to the edge of the city. But here's where things get tricky. There were many variations of garum and no official recipe. Whatever records do exist aren't very exact. Some call for whole fish, while others only use the guts. Cooks mixed in different herbs and spices, and they added honey, oil, wine, or vinegar. Just like your grandma, the ancient Romans weren't precise about recording ingredient proportions. Scientists don't even agree on the term to refer to the condiment. Some say that garum was one particular variety, while another version was known as liquimen. Its name might also have varied from place to place and throughout history. Archaeologists have found evidence that garum was being produced and consumed from Tunisia to France, and people from all levels of Roman society enjoyed the sauce. Experts say that a bottle of high-quality garum could go for a few hundred dollars today, but there were also cheaper versions that were given to enslaved people. And while the production process sounds unappealing, Food historians say the finished product was mild and quite the taste sensation. Adding just a few drops to a dish caused its flavors to explode in the mouth. The thing is, it's a mystery as to why something so delicious seems to have just vanished from history. The leading theories are tied to the fall of the Roman Empire. One possibility is that pirates posed such a threat to coastal garum makers that they just abandoned the practice. Another idea is that making garum became too expensive because of heavy taxes on salt after the empire fell. While some historians say it's impossible to recreate this special sauce, you can try some imitations that may come close to the real thing. There's a modern descendant of the Romans' garum in southwest Italy that's known as colatura de lici. Other options include the Vietnamese fish sauce nukmamni, or Japanese sauce called ishiri. So give it a try and take a lesson from the Romans. Just be sure to record your own recipes in detail. People in a lot of different countries have gotten taller over the last century, and they've also been reaching puberty earlier and earlier. The reason isn't a total mystery. Researchers have known for a long time that demographic changes like that can happen as a society gains reliable access to food. But a team of scientists just found the brain receptor that makes it happen. And what it does and why have some pretty interesting implications. So let's talk about it. 
The receptor is called MC3R, and it exists because evolution can't predict the future. Here's what I mean. For a lot of species, including humans, being bigger and stronger helps with survival. And it's easier for an individual to have more babies if they get an earlier start. So being big and having babies early are both good things. But there's a trade-off. See, growth and development burn a lot of calories. For individuals who have plenty to eat, that isn't a problem. But someone without enough food could be in big trouble if their body tried to grow or develop without the nutrients needed to build new tissues. The newly discovered receptor appears to be the mechanism the body uses to determine if it's safe to hit the gas on physical growth and sexual development. Here's how it works. The brain and digestive system coordinate energy consumption using chemical communication. For example, hormones like leptin and insulin tell some neurons to produce neurotransmitters called melanocortins. Scientists already knew that MC4R, or melanocortin-4 receptors, used that information from the digestive system to regulate appetite. Researchers have discovered that MC3R, or melanocortin-3 receptors, do something entirely different. It turns out that these newly discovered receptors control the release of hormones that regulate growth and sexual maturity. The researchers studied these receptors in the lab using mice. They also found 812 women with just one of the normal two functioning copies of the gene that codes for MC3R. On average, those women were shorter and started puberty nearly five months later than their peers. The scientists also found a few children with an MC3R mutation. All of them were shorter and weighed less than average. And one person they found had mutations on both copies of the MC3R gene. That person was very short and didn't start puberty until age 20. This research will soon result in genetic tests for mutations affecting the MC3R gene, and that could lead to all sorts of treatments. For example, ones that help patients whose chronic disease keeps them from gaining muscle. So, parents, if you notice your tweens hit puberty sooner than you did, it just means their brains know they've got plenty of food to fuel them. It's hard to imagine an elephant without tusks. But in Gorongosa National Park in Mozambique, tuskless elephants are surprisingly common. And it's not for a good reason. It's because of intense poaching. But the good news is that now the elephants are getting their tusks back. The reason this all happened is because from 1977 to 1992, Mozambique was boiling over with civil war, and both sides of the war turned to ivory poaching to finance their efforts. And that ivory came from elephant tusks. As a result, the war took a heavy toll on the elephants. Before the war began, the park estimated that roughly 2,500 elephants lived within its boundaries. But after the war... The first census found fewer than 250 of them. That's a 90% difference. The population has grown in the decades since, but hasn't achieved its pre-war numbers. Aerial photos from before the war began showed that roughly 18% of the elephants were tuskless, but after the war, that number had risen to 50%. Tusks are usually really important for elephants. They use them to defend themselves and gather food but ivory poaching had turned that survival advantage into a burden. This wasn't new information, though. We already knew that the war had led elephants to gradually lose their tusks. 
What we didn't know is why all the tuskless elephants were female. Scientists figured that out using whole genome analysis. They discovered that the ability to be born tuskless is a trait that's carried on the X chromosome. Both male and female elephants have an X chromosome. Females have two, and males have one X and one Y. The scientists realized that the reason why tuskless males don't exist is that having a solo X chromosome with a tuskless gene variant is fatal. But because the female elephants have two X chromosomes, they can carry the trait on one, and the other X chromosome with a normal variant can protect them from much harm. Males with their only one X chromosome aren't so lucky if their version of the gene happens to be defective. And in fact, one of the candidate genes is actually linked to a similarly fatal disorder in humans that also only affects males. Well, the good news, the research found, is that as the population grows, fewer and fewer females are being born without tusks. In 10 years, it's dropped from 50% of the population to 30%. And it's still falling. In a world without ivory poaching, the trait may very well disappear. And we'll be back to a world where every elephant has big, glorious tusks, the way nature intended. Well, let's recap the main things we learned today, starting with the fact that garum was a fermented fish sauce that was popular for generations in ancient Greece and Rome, but it suddenly disappeared. So researchers are trying to recreate it. But with no official recipe and shoddy records, the process is harder than you'd think. If you want to try something like it, though, you can taste the Italian sauce known as colatura delici, the Vietnamese fish sauce nuc mom ni, and the Japanese sauce ishiri. I personally love Vietnamese fish sauce. It makes everything better. Weird trick. Trust me on this. Next time you're grilling a steak, you take like a tablespoon of mayonnaise. You mix it with Vietnamese fish sauce or with chopped up anchovies. It, it's kind of the same effect. You mix that up and then you spread it on both sides of the already salted steak and you grill it that way. Oh, my goodness. It's decadent. It's so tasty. The mayonnaise trick I got from Kenji Alt Lopez from Serious Eats. But adding the fish sauce, all my idea. Dude, fish sauce is so good. This story is like, just hit it for me. I was so into it because it's like, dude, there's a mysterious sauce that disappeared from history. No one can remake it. There's all these food scientists trying to figure it out. It's like really cool. And if you're asking yourself, you know, why are they so intent on recreating this? You know, once they're able to recreate the recipe, that may tell them more about why it disappeared, right? Like if it just took a huge amount of salt, maybe that will serve as evidence towards the salt tax idea. Or maybe there is an ingredient in it that's really hard to find that like they look at fish historical records. I mean, you never know the way weird ways that history kind of like intermingles with other history and science and stuff. So yeah, I, I'm curious about it. And it's just a good excuse to try lots of different kinds of fish sauce. Yeah. And last I heard a restaurant in Lisbon called Can the Can. I know we have some listeners in Portugal, so maybe you can check this place out, was actually working with archaeologists to recreate Garum. So maybe by now they actually have it on the menu. You should check it out. Find out if they do. Delicious. We also learned that scientists have discovered a receptor in the brain 
that hits the gas on physical development and sexual maturity when there's enough food around. And it pulls it back when food is scarce. They think this explains why people in countries with greater access to food get taller and start puberty earlier. The brain knows. It's clued in, Ashley. It knows what's going on in our bodies. Wait, wait, wait. I thought the nose knows. Oh, well, see, only if you're studying Garum. Okay. Yeah, that's a different that's a different part of research. The nose doesn't know how the brain works. Although the brain is what works the nose. Right. The the nose is actually kind of part of the brain because it's like the only it's the only part of your nervous system that's exposed to the air. It doesn't matter. That that doesn't have anything to do with this. The brain knows, the nose knows, everything knows. Except your nose. The more you nose. And we learned that female elephants in Mozambique have evolved without tusks in response to intense poaching. Ivory poachers hunt the elephants for their tusks, so any animal born without tusks has a survival advantage. It only affected females because the genetic trait that allows for tusklessness is only possible in females. But the good news is that laws against ivory poaching have helped the elephants' tusks grow back. Tuskless elephants have gone from half the population to 30% and falling. And when I say helped the elephants' tusks grow back, it's not like the individual elephants that were born without tusks suddenly grow tusks. It's that they give birth to elephants that can grow tusks. Slight difference, but it's important. Yeah. It's a whale of a time. (laughs) And can I just say, I'm going to come out hot here. You know what's a lot more fun than hunting elephants? What? Anything. (laughs) literally anything literally anything in the world is better than that so don't do it that's that's my hot take for the day is that hot enough ashley i i recommend watching cute videos of elephants instead sure i just watched one where an elephant pretended to eat a woman's hat and then the woman asked for her hat back and then the elephant gave it back it was cute see that is very cute that is very cute or you could look at the matanga what are the Matanga? Perhaps from the Arkasadara clan. What are those? That's the new beast tribe in Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker. The Matanga are elephant-like people. They're humanoids with elephant heads. Man, I thought you were getting all like science. You were going to tell me a science fact about some species I had never heard of. And here it is. It's no, funny. no. I was talking about the Arkasadara, the Matanga from Final Fantasy XIV Endwalker, which is a great game that I play a lot of, especially this month. See, ever since you said cullets, I now no longer trust that the words you say from video games are pronounced correctly, but I'll trust it. Well, you know what, Ashley? I've never seen a Matanga wearing culottes, so I'll have to get back to you on that. I'm actually diversifying my ridiculous nerd fantasy references because... The Matanga are from the Isle of Favnir, obviously, where they colonized Reds at hand and did lots of other stuff, right? And whereas Kulats, I've been, I've been wearing those since A Realm Reborn, the original Final Fantasy fourteen. I can buy those in Ulda or like Limza Lominza. Listener, I would just, I really want to lend my apologies. Just, I'm so sorry. Maybe my next podcast will be a Final Fantasy fourteen podcast. And you know what? Even if you don't even play the game, you'll probably love it because I'm so into it. I'm just throwing it out there. I hope it is. I hope I hope your next podcast is a Final Fantasy fourteen podcast. I, I love that for you. You you hope that that is and that you are not remotely involved. Yes. Ever. Yes. Except, I will cheer from the sidelines. It's, 
or from like another state. You might be outside. You might be like tailgating, like giving people right. hot dogs as they walk in. I'll be listening to it on a hidden radio in math class. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Today's writers were Steffi Drucker, Grant Curran, and Cameron Duke. Curiosity Daily is distributed by Discovery. Matanga, I barely knew her. <laughs> Join us again next time to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. <laughs>